A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. You know, the weather's getting warmer, so I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually... Actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince. But it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie. Also from Quince. Ooh, mm-hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic, whether it's winter toot, or, toot, Kate. or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello, welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I am Kate Spencer. And I am Dori Shafrir. And look, we are not experts. No, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. We do. We do like to talk a lot about serums. And you know what? I've been testing out a new cream I'm going to talk about in the next couple of weeks that I'm pretty excited about, Dory. Ooh, Kate, I can't wait to hear about this. Well, look, if you uh, want to just check out any of the products that we mentioned, they can be found on our website, forever35podcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Forever35Pod. We are more active on Instagram at Forever35Podcast. And you can join the Forever35 Facebook group where the password is serums. And may I pose a question, Dory? Yes, please. To our listeners. Do you want to see us make reels on Instagram? Question mark. Is that something that appeals to you? Or do you, just you like, have an interest in please, reels? Please do not. <laughs> Kate, Dory, we don't want to see you in a reel. Yeah. We're curious because this is a topic of conversation that we've had. Like, should we be making reels? Does anybody like reels? Do people care about reels? And I will say I attempted one that's in drafts of a my recent Costco trip. So oh, okay. I mean it's just more me like videotaping my card. I have we have we are not like 
great video people. So this is a little bit of out of our comfort zone, but we're willing to try. Anyway, if anyone has any thoughts on reels, you know what? Hit us up. Hit us up on those jeans. I've said that in a while. Hit us up in the jeans. Forever 35 podcast at gmail.com. Uh, <laughs> or you can uh, yes. call or text us. 781-591-0390. Wow, Kate, you are really mixing it up today. <laughs> I know. Sorry. I skipped over the newsletter part of this reminder list. I'll, let, I'll hand the mic off to you and let you smoothly take us through the rest. Okay. Well, you can sign up for our newsletter at forever35podcast.com slash newsletter. Well, Kate, you know, we usually do a little intro update, etc. for these full-length episodes, but we had such an engaging conversation with our guest today, Chloe Cooper-Jones, that we're just going to get right into it. We are. We both loved Chloe's new book, which is a memoir called Easy Beauty, and we just could have kept gabbing for days, especially because we started talking skincare prods right up there toward the end of the episode. Oh, we sure did. Or our interview, rather. And boy. And she had a fun. lot of thoughts. She had a lot of thoughts. And she's using some good stuff. She's using some nice stuff. Yeah. Yep. Spoiler alert. We got some skincare prods coming up for you, <laughs> including we talk about <laughs> face brushes to wash your face with. Anyway, why don't we share Chloe's full bio with you before we give you our interview. Uh, and I did want to say, like, I, I don't even think I'd have an update for us anyway, other than that I have heartburn. Like, that's oh. a, that's all that's going on over here, a little heartburn. Oh, sorry to hear that. You know, it's okay. It's nothing Tums can't handle. <laughs> um, Do you want to read Chloe's bio? I would love to. Chloe Cooper Jones is a writer based in New York City. In 2020, Chloe was a Pulitzer Prize finalist in feature writing for Fearing for His Life, a profile of Ramsey Orta, the man who filmed the killing of Eric Garner. She was the recipient of the 2020 Whitting Creative Nonfiction Grant and the 2021 Howard Foundation Grant from Brown University. Both grants are in support of her new book, Easy Beauty, which is a memoir which finds the author, after unexpectedly becoming a mother, embarking on a journey across the globe to reclaim the spaces, both physical and emotional, that she's been, that she's been denied and denied herself. Easy Beauty is out this coming Tuesday, and it is moving and really beautifully written in addition to just being illuminating and interesting and eye-opening it's it's very poetic i found yeah and chloe is going on tour so if you want to catch her irl you can do that and she talks a little bit about that in our conversation um all right well without further ado here is chloe We are so excited to have Chloe here today with us. Chloe, welcome to Forever 35. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Um, well, as we were just kind of discussing in my little preview of what we're going to talk about, we, we like to open all of our conversations with guests with a discussion of their, of a self care practice that they have. So is there something that you are doing these days that you would consider a self care practice? Yes. I mean, I think there's a lot of things. I love this question because it's actually something I'm really thinking about really seriously. Um, and especially how for all of us, this idea of self care necessarily had to shift a little bit in the pandemic because yeah. the things that we might 
use um, as outlets for self-care or for outlets for stress or whatever obviously have to shift. So um, I've recently taken a lot of inspiration from my friend Naomi Huffman. I'll shout out to her who begins every morning really thinking about each one of her senses as self-care. Yeah, I think this is very smart. And I'm somebody who often thinks that like, well, the better way to put it is I often prefer to believe my body doesn't exist. So Mm -hmm. I will not prioritize some of my sort of sensory experiences. So she gets up every morning, does a little bit of yoga, makes herself tea, lights incense. She also does um, acts of care around her house. So she Mm -hmm. has a lot of plants and she'll go and like touch her plants and smell her plants and, you know, do acts of care, you know, taking care of her plants and plays, you know, a little music that is very calming to her. She has a whole list of musicians that she likes that are sort of ambient and calming. And she just starts every single day with this like fine tuned attention to all of her senses. And to me, this is like somewhat radical um, and amazing. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I'm trying to do. So I get up and I light incense. I drink coffee um, and not tea. I try to do like an elaborate stretching routine, which is really, really, really good for my body, but not something I always prioritize. And then I also try to do a small I play calming music and, and try to do a small act of care, um, which for me is like feeding all my animals and like mm. spending some time like focusing on my animals and cleaning their bowls and their spaces where they eat and just sort of focusing on these small living things in my mm. in my home before my family wakes up or my day starts. I have two follow-up questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The, the first is – can you tell us about all your animals? Like, who are the animals? Yeah. What are the animals? This, this is just, Kate, I'm just very same, curious. I had the same question. <laughs> I need to know about this animal, the animal menagerie that is in your home. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you tell me both questions? I'll answer the first question. Oh, oh, the second. Yes. yes. Answer the first one, then I'll follow up with my next yeah. one. <laughs> Sorry. Gonna, this is what it's going to be like the whole time. I have so many questions. No, I love it. Uh, oh, I have to also just say, because I think this is so important, is Naomi also uses lavender scented dryer sheets and so like all of the clothes in her house and like all the blankets like they all smell so good and i was i was just like oh this is affecting me in a way i don't think i would have given the proper credence to so i'm also trying to do things like that just Mm. like little luxurious things that really are about giving my senses the proper respect that they deserve um, my animal, I have two cats. Um, one we got a long time from a shelter and then one we found, um, well, a fr- friends of ours rescued that was dumped during the pandemic. So he's our little alley cat who is very affectionate and lovely. And then we just got a puppy. Oh, gosh. And I call her name is Dolly. And I call her like my guilt puppy because I... um I worked so long and hard and in such a like a very focused way on this book that I often like would, you know, spend a lot of time, especially during the pandemic when my family was home, like behind a closed door. And my son, who's like so supportive and so sweet and just like completely understanding, 
also sometimes would be like, when can we spend the whole day together? You know, like, when is this, when is this stress in your life going to go away? I mean, he's very gentle and understanding about it. And he just, yeah, he just was such a trooper and, but he's also really smart and uh, manipulating me. He's 10. And so at one point he was like, if only I had like a little puppy friend to keep me company while you're working and just a thought, you know, I'm not saying I need it. I'm just saying like, maybe a boy needs a dog while his mom, you know, it's a <laughs> boy needs a dog. Oh my goodness. A boy, he's a like, boy maybe. <laughs> He was like, just consider, just consider that maybe a boy needs a dog. And I was like, yes, absolutely. So I got him this this puppy so that he would remember this time period is actually a, a very joyful one and and not one of just like his mother being stressed out <laughs> over well, edits can, or something. <laughs> we can relate to to being in that those that position, same as you as writers. Um so th- this kind of leads into my follow-up question, which was you have a you have a family and you have mm-hmm a really intense career. Uh, so finding the time to do this, was that hard to kind of schedule, carve out a little bit of just this alone time where your home is quiet and you can have the space to do these things? And also, Naomi, what a legend. I mean, truly mm-hmm. an icon. I want to do all these things now. She really is. She's the best. Um, and she's very smart. She also dresses like both beautifully, but like extremely comfortable. Like all her clothes are so comfortable, but she, I don't know how she does it. She's got great tattoos. I don't really know how she does it. She's, I'm really learning a lot from her. <laughs> she is a legend. Um, and a quite brilliant, br- brilliant person. Yeah. It, 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 it was hard, but not because I couldn't find the time. Hmm. Um, it was hard because I, didn't prioritize. I felt in some way like it's selfish or a waste of time or it doesn't start my day right to like just prioritize my body or like my mental well-being. Mm. But then sometimes when I feel like my priorities are getting a little out of whack, I do this exercise where I just for like a day or a week or I've done it sometimes for months, I actually just keep track of what I do every minute. And this is like a quite annoying thing. And sometimes I have to like approximate it, but I'll actually just keep, I just call it like keeping track of my minutes. And of course, if you really do that, what you find is you wake up in the, or I do this, I won't speak for you. Um, I wake up in the morning and spend 10 minutes to 20 minutes looking at Twitter or looking at Instagram or cycling through emails before I need to do it. Um, or Googling like what Pete Davidson's doing today or, you know, like, <laughs> Like, We're all doing that. Yep. We are yeah. all Googling that. And like, I don't really need to do that. It's in a way, maybe that's part of a self-care thing, except for I just feel the P. Davidson is maybe self-care, but the Twitter is agony. That's like the exact opposite of doing something kind for myself. So when I keep track of my minutes, I find that I'm spending the first 20 minutes doing things that are actually putting me in a worse mindset or stressing me out before my days even begun or just depleting me. Sometimes I just feel like mentally depleted before I've even gotten out of bed. And so when I looked at that, it was like, okay, I definitely have the time, even though I'm a busy Mm -hmm. person, like I have the time. And so it's, it's just sort of holding myself accountable to shifting to practices that I know are going to set me up very well 
Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's hard to do. I mean, that's really hard. That has felt like a, you know, you, when you were just describing your, the first thing you do in the morning, that's similar to me, which is, you know, reach my phone, Mm -hmm. look at Instagram, do Wordle, yeah. Look at all the emails, even though you're right, they don't need to be addressed at, you know, 645 in the morning, but still absorbing all that information right away. And it does kind of jolt your senses in, in a way that's different from the like lovely sensory experience you've been focusing on. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's unpleasant and yet hard to break the habit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, oh, oh, go ahead, Dory. No, no, no. no. Okay. All right. Um, well, Chloe, let's let's talk about your book, which Kate and I. Well, Kate, I'm going to speak for you, you but since we me. had a conversation it. about it, <laughs> um, we we both really loved it. It's so beautiful, um, and which you know the the book is called Easy Beauty. But I wanted to just kind of start the discussion of your book with a quote um, in like the fir- from the first, I guess, third of the book. Um, where you say people simply felt it was hard to include me and easier to leave me on the margins invisible. I learned to preempt the inevitable and excluded myself. Um, can you talk, I guess, first talk a little bit about what the book is about and how this quote in particular um, kind of affected you and, and how that might have changed as you were writing the book? Yeah. Well, thank you for reading it. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad to get to talk to you about it. And I'm, um, thank you for the kind words about it. Uh, the book is, it takes place over roughly 18 months of my life in which, you know, at the core of the book, I'm starting to pay attention to the ways in which, um, I self protect yeah. and the ways in which I actively look for a method to withdraw from pain or discomfort. And that's both literal because I have a physical disability. Um, and part of my physical disability includes a pain disorder. So I'm constantly managing um, pain and stress on my body. So I was taught at a very, very early age by a doctor, a method for mediating pain or for sort of managing pain. I learned later after I wrote the book that this is actually um a, a similar technique that like long distance athletes will use mm. is to retreat to like to make a mental space to make like a, a visual space of a room in your mind and then go there. And when you're in that room, nothing else exists but the room. So it is like a form of sort of training your mind to dissociate um, from reality. And my doctor called it my neutral room. And so that's what I've always called it. So in situations of great physical pain, I could I could negatively amplify that pain by imagining future pain existing and things getting worse and, you know, my body feeling worse and, and that anxiety would actually make the pain I was feeling um, be amplified. And so the neutral room is, is kind of a way of cutting that out. But of course, also, I started using this as a way to avoid um, emotional pain or as you said in that quote, the pain of possible exclusion, the pain of people not wanting to do the work to find spaces for me or mm. to make experiences accessible to me. Um, and I think that part of that is, you know, part of that comes from the fact that people's understanding about disability 
is so far behind a lot of other discussions that we're having about diversity or inclusion. And also people have a hard time seeing themselves on the spectrum of disability and seeing disability as like a really, you know, it's very common for people to see disability as this really intense other thing or a thing to be afraid of or a thing to attach fear or pity or anxiety on. Um, when in reality, like, oh, I'm so sorry. Is that, did you hear that? Oh, no. No. Oh, no. Oh, so You're sorry. Good. My phone no, just, okay. okay. Can I go back? We can edit. Yes. 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 Yeah. Okay, oh, don't good. worry. Sorry. We can, we can edit any sounds. Oh, good. <laughs> My phone just did a loud beep and I thought you would for sure hear that. Okay. Sorry. I'll, I'll go back. Um, so yeah, I think the experience, um, a lot of people experience disability with a lot of fear and anxiety and a sense of an extreme otherness that a disabled body is so different from their own. And it's an object often of pity um, or of disgust, quite frankly. Mm. And the reality is that disability is an important identity. It is an important um, form of difference, but it also belongs on a spectrum of human variable. Like we're all on the spectrum. And in fact, if we all are lucky and live long enough, disability is absolutely coming for you. And so to actually have a good, healthy sort of knowledge base around it and acceptance of it and a way of sort of seeing it as an integrated part of being human, um, we're really far behind on that. And I think also part of it is because it's uncomfortable to think about um, in a lot of ways. So in my experience, it was just easier for people to pretend like, like I didn't exist mm. or that the needs of my body didn't exist. And you see it in the larger cultural conversations too, where disability is just sort of left out, you know, it's left out of the beauty conversation. It's left out of the fashion conversation. It's left out of the film and television conversation largely. And we do see these things changing a little bit, but certainly not at the same speed that I think other diversity inclusion conversations are changing things. So the book is largely tracking, as that quote says, my own instinct to just retreat before the pain occurs. Yeah. Um, and, and, and a, and for me to sort of look at that habit and to see how that habit, while it does protect me and while it does give me some agency and it does give me some peace, also absents me from my possible, you know, responsibilities and can make me complicit in bad thoughts about disability. You mentioned beauty and we talk a lot about, you know, the industry of beauty and participation in beauty culture on this podcast and, and are also participants ourselves. Can you speak a little bit about um, disability and be and the beauty industry and uh, kind of what, what you see in terms of lack of inclusion and, and where the conversation needs to be? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot about beauty, especially the beauty industry you know, it, it's obviously very complex. There's a lot of problems, you know, <laughs> that we can talk about and ways in which it can be um, a thing that preys on people's vulnerabilities and and 
um, insecurities. But one really powerful thing about the beauty industry is that it can be um, a way in which there's a cultural saturation of value around something. So hmm. what I mean is like it can be one factor in which we show through culture the value of somebody or something. So when we see a beauty campaign um, that includes or we see a makeup line that expands their products to include lots of different skin colors, right, or lots of different skin textures or pays more attention to what might be ageist about the, the, you know, the products that they're making. When we start to see that, we see culture painting some value on the subjects that that we're prioritizing right in these in these possibly expanded beauty campaigns i grew up in a time where the only person i saw associated with beauty was a thin young symmetrical white woman it's like the kate mosses of the world mm-hmm. and and all of their sort of copies and maybe there was a naomi campbell but there was very it was very unified especially like young girls magazines, like 17 or teen magazine. And obviously we see a big shift in that. Um, in fact, if we looked at magazines we grew up with, we'd, we'd really notice the absences, I think. But I still don't see disability in any of that. Mm. You know, I don't think I've ever seen a disabled person on the cover of a magazine or included in a L'Oreal ad campaign or or anything like that. I just haven't seen it. So we're still really kept out of this possible venue in which we could, our bodies could be washed with that light of inherent value. So I would like that to change. I mean, I think it'd be a really amazing thing to see a disabled woman dressed beautifully with a full face of makeup and great hair and be given a photo shoot in which the the lens of the camera says this is an object of beauty. Yeah. But I can't really point to too, too many examples yeah. of that unless it's Instagram and it's the disabled figure him or herself who's making herself, you know, there's a lot of incredible disability influencers that are using Instagram to create that lens on their own, which is great. Um but it's not the same as Vogue doing it. It's not right. the same as, you know, yeah, these sort of other places or just, a, you know, a commercial that airs in my hometown of Kansas or something on, right. on the Super Bowl. Right. So, yeah. So we're just going to take a short break and we will be right back. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You know, the weather's getting warmer, so I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. 
And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. Yeah. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from quince. Ooh, mm-hmm. Okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic, whether it's winter or or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30. You got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into summer. It's happening so fast. It is. And I feel like also with summer just come more social events. There's weddings. There's nights out. It's vacations. I mean, like all the things happening in summer. And what I love is that Honey Love has just the right thing for all those events. Feel comfortable and confident this summer with Honey Love's best-selling Superpower Short. The Superpower Short smooth shapes and lifts, giving you a flawless silhouette under any outfit with targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas you need less compression. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. Speaking of working with your bod, the crossover bra, which I'm wearing as we speak. I wear that my, thing every day. I do too. Uh, it's my favorite Honey Love piece. Let me let me just tell you why. Yeah, get okay, into it. Hey, do you want to tell me why? <laughs> no, no, I was just going to say like I I I don't even need to wear it to events. I wear it like the event is every day of my life. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. The bra gives all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires and just like sidebar, I have put on some of my old underwire bras lately and been like, "Oh god, like get this off of me." <laughs> No, thank once you. you. Once you start wearing Honey Love, you're just like, no, not yep. going back. You see also, how it like, could be. Yes. Also, like summer sweat under those underwires is like, ugh, the worst. Now you don't have to worry about it. Get the support you need with the comfort you deserve and treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market. Save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. 
Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started. So shape your life with Honey Love. You know, Dory, we talk to a lot of really fantastic, intelligent people on this podcast, but I don't know, maybe you're like us and you want to go even deeper. Mm, I'd love to go deeper. We like to go deep. And that's not only possible with today's sponsor, but also easy to accomplish on Masterclass. Every year, I get really into the classes offered and the instructors offering them. Like I'm all over the place with the things that I like on Masterclass. But this year, I am very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now, they dissect issues women face in the U.S. and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college. So this is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, even if you're like, this is the first time I'm hearing those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes, Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be redefining feminism with Gloria Steinem. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation with Chris Voss or think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe capture your vision through photography with Petra Collins, Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. Okay, we're back. You talk a lot throughout the book about being excluded from conversations and spaces of sex, romantic partnership, motherhood, and love, specifically as a disabled person. And I would love if you could speak to that a little bit and tell our listeners more about how you kind of approach this throughout your book um, and how you, I mean, how you became, how you were a participant despite not being included. If that, if I, if I'm asking that correctly, I might need to reframe how I ask that. Does that make, does that, did that, does yeah. that sound clear at all to you? Sorry, I'm still trying to figure out the best way to ask what I'm asking. No, absolutely. Um, well, you know, we, we learn about people who aren't us, which is almost everyone, right? Um, through the narratives that, that we encounter about them. So if we are only seeing narratives that are perpetuating stereotypes about a certain group of people, um, or a certain marginal group, our mind is going to adapt some of those stereotypes and they're going to be part of the initial way that we interact with people when we meet them. Now, if we're lucky, we get some education and we can sort of start to 
counterbalance or or act against those first thoughts or those embedded cultural stereotypes, but they're there. So when people talk about representation, um, it really is so important because it actually it forms the lens of a person's first thought about a body or or a life that isn't theirs, right? So the narrative around disability, if you think of any sort of disability stories you've seen on TV or in books, they'll see there's like a couple basic patterns. Um, A disabled character is typically without agency, absolutely sexless, almost childlike in their goodness or innocence. Mm. um, And they die. They always die, right? And then they die to let the able-bodied people realize that life is so beautiful. I mean, it's the, you know, the Beth of little women yeah. narrative that you're just going to see over and over and over and over and over again. And it's in so many books that I read. As soon as I find a disabled character, I just immediately think like, okay, wh- they're going to die pretty quickly. And it's going to create the dark night of the soul for our protagonist. Who's then going to go on and like learn how to love life. Or there was that film um, that was based on a book, me, me before you or you before oh, me. Or whatever. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah. yeah. Jojo Moy's book. Yeah. Where it's like, you. she's like falls in love with this like super hot guy. Who's like, just who I think is like a prince or something. I don't know. <laughs> Basically. Like, yeah. He's super hot, rich guy. He's like super hot, rich guy who loves her so much and is great. And they're like in love, but he's in a wheelchair. So he's like, I'll die to give you happiness. It's like, it's so revolting and, and deeply offensive especially that that's a narrative that people could see as like romantic mm. but that's just a that's a recent example from from so so many or the disabled body is seen as odd or monstrous or a thing to be on display um certainly the history of disability is sort of freak shows or using disability in a medical context to show the difference between pathology and and the normal body so an abnormal body a normal body so if that's the cultural messaging that is absolutely pervasive. And again, if there aren't these other counterexamples of beautiful disabled women on Vogue or beautiful disabled men on GQ covers, if we don't have those counterexamples, then it is just a really, really easy thing for people to look at my body and go, well, she's definitely not going to date. She can't have any sex drive whatsoever. It'd be kind of weird if she did. She'll never get pregnant, which is what my doctors told my mother from a very young age. They just said, oh, she'll never get pregnant. And my mother, not sort of knowing or not thinking to doubt what a doctor says, didn't really Mm. press them as to why. And it turns out I could get pregnant. (laughs) And I did. Yeah. And it was a big surprise. And that's part of the book. Um, And so it was just it wasn't even, I think, for a lot of people, a conscious exclusion from those realms it was just the assumption that that was the thing that was true that my life would have less agency less power that my body would not be seen as an object of desire that i would not have desire that i was somehow childlike i've had friends who like if i swear around them they sort of are like (gasps) you know like they're kind of like weirded out when i just sort of behave um like an adult like a fully formed adult woman with all the things that that implies so um and i think the second part of your question is what i think you said um how did i sort of 
involve myself anyway, right? I guess, I mean, you know, you were talking about agency earlier. And I think, you know, what I what my brain keeps wanting to say is like, how did you break through that? But it also just feels unfair that the onus must all be on you, the individual, and to sh- to try to shift things and not the culture and community around you. And so, I, I guess, I guess I'm just like frustrated that that is possibly what the experience is like. But I, you know, I'd be be curious if 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 I'm on the nose here, or if it was different for you. No, I think that's right. Um, I think it really was on me, and I don't think I had um, a strong – I didn't have a lot of things that could help me out of this except um, that I had my son, Wolfgang. Mm. And when he – which was, as I mentioned, a big surprise um, because I'd been told I couldn't get pregnant. And then I met – this man, Andrew, and we fell in love very, very quickly. And then suddenly I was pregnant. <laughs> we were very, very surprised and um, and terrified and terrified. And it was a, a really scary thing because if you're told your whole life you can't do something, you don't often build your own narrative about it. So I think a lot mm. of women at some point sit down and they think, do I want to have a kid? Do I want to be a mother? Do I not want to do it? If I was a mother, what kind of mother would I be like? What would that experience feel like? What are the things that would be important to me? But I never did that because I didn't think it was possible. And then suddenly was five and a half months pregnant. So um, before I before I knew what was happening. But this incredible thing occurred, um, which was Wolfgang came and I sort of spent the first years of his life, I think, in a bit of a daze that I was in this situation. And then when he turned about three or four and could talk so much and was so hyperverbal, I started to really see that um, he was, and this is like the most obvious thing to people who have children, but was um, news to me. He was just a sponge for every single thing that I did. And I really had this idea that I could keep the worst of myself separate from him. Mm. And it turns out you can't. (laughs) So true. (laughs) It turns out they know and they see through you and then they shine your best and worst back to you. Mm. And so suddenly I was seeing Wolfgang enact behaviors that were okay for me, for my own life. But we're not okay for him. I, they were, I didn't want that for him. So I think one of the most significant ones was instead of me really thinking about my place in public or my place with strangers, I would retreat. I would hide. I would never talk about my disability. I, if people brought it up, I would sort of absent myself from the conversation. But I also regarded the strangers that stared at me or that treated me Cruelly, I would regard them with a lot of um, anger. I would just be really angry. But then I also would predict that anger, that that strangers would treat me badly. So I'd also write this anger onto people before I'd even met them or before they even had a chance to prove who they were. I wouldn't give new people or public situations the benefit of the doubt. I wouldn't go into them with an open mind. And 
I can maybe live the rest of my life like that, but I can't stain my son with that. I don't want that for him. I want him to be someone who feels open-minded and excited about new things and meets people and doesn't put preconceived notions on them and has open, like an open heart. And I, the, the, just the totally unfair thing about a parent being a parent is you can't just say that to your kid and then they'll do it. Right. It's like, you really have to <laughs> oh, do it. <laughs> yeah. It's so hard. It's so hard. It's so unfair. It's like, you just actually really have to deal with all of your, yeah, all your bad stuff. Um, so that, that's sort of a long answer, but it's the truest answer. Mm. That's the thing that forced this shift. I couldn't wait for the culture to sort of magically make it easier for me. I had to figure out how to really find a sense of peace and self-acceptance and openness and more empathy and more compassion for other people so that I could shine that back to my son and give that example for him. You know, we're we're talking about your role as a parent to your child, but your parents play a pretty big role in your book as well. And I wanted to talk about them for a little while. Um, They had, seems like a complicated relationship. um, Mm -hmm. And, I'm wondering, like, and you talk about this in your book, but I'm wondering if you could talk about this uh, for the benefit of our listeners as well, kind of what you took from both of them and how they navigated having a child uh, with a disability. Yeah, they're very different people. Um, My father was a very brilliant, um, incredibly creative, quick-witted, charming party monster, life of the, you know, like bright corner in any room, very, you know, people were really, really drawn to him. He read obsessively. He was so smart. He could remember, you know, whole bits of poetry or theory and recite them verbatim. He could play lots of musical instruments. He was just a deeply, deeply charming person. Um, He lived most of his life in a very romanticized headspace. Um, he wanted every moment to be new. He wanted every experience to be an experience of grand adventure. Um, he wanted to see every corner of the world. He was very hungry for life, but he was also deeply restless Mm -hmm. and avoidant of the hard facts of reality. My mother, uh, was the exact opposite. Grew up one of six children, um, you know, child of a Filipino father who had come to the United States and built an incredible life um, for his children, worked very hard. And she's also just the most deeply practical, sensible, logical person I've ever met. She's obnoxiously correct about everything. She <laughs> she just like she's the most clear eyed person In the world. And it's because she isn't swayed by a romantic ideal of, Mm. of things. In one, there's one example in the book in which that's not quite true, but for the vast majority, it's like the romanticized ideal is not relevant to her. She just wants to know what's the work that needs to be done? What, what are the chores that need to be accomplished? 
what's the honest truth of a situation. And she's a person who can look at the hard facts of reality and integrate them seamlessly into her existence, but also use those hard facts to motivate her behavior and her actions. Mm. And I think the book is in every way a, a battle between those two states of being. I think chapter by chapter, it's the, it's that battle that I'm, I'm dealing with. My father left our family. He, you know, cheated a lot on my mom, which is all part of like the romantic traveling man's, you know, he had, you got to do right. it if you're going to be, yep. if you're going to yep. be, you know, um, that vision. And when he, when I was born, I think he had an idea that I was going to be, um, a witness to his grand adventures, but instead I came out with a lot of hard facts and realities. I needed a kind of care he couldn't give me. And for my mother, nothing about my disability changed anything she felt about motherhood. Mm. It didn't affect a single thing because all she wanted to do was know me. And she wanted to know how to take care of me. So whatever those things were, like the logistics didn't matter. She just wanted to deal with, with the realities of, of loving her child. And that's the only thing that motivated her feelings or her, um, or her behaviors. So for me, I am a, I am a true product of both of these people. And I have all of my father. He says at one point you have my same curse, mm. um, which is that we can't integrate the hard facts of reality and we don't know how to live in the present. Mm. And that's true. He's absolutely right. But I also have my mother's influence, my husband, who's very much like my mother and my son, and they have shaped me equally. So a lot of the book is this sort of trying to find that threshold in which I might be able to hold on to this romantic part of me that is truly in awe of all the newness of the world and the adventures that I can go on that wants to have every experience, mm -hmm. but also can balance that with the incredible strength um, and self-awareness that my mother, my mother lived her whole life by. I love the way that you use kind of travel and your journeys through the world and also kind of through people. Um, kind of weave your book together. It was just so beautifully done. Uh, is is travel and exploring the world in this way, do you feel like it's a self-care practice for you? Is it something that mm. you do to really feed your soul in that way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the brain craves newness. Um, mm. I mean, it is part of how we keep our brain chemistry balanced, quite literally is the seeking of newness and then the desire of our brain somewhat paradoxically to take that newness and then compartmentalize and understand it and categorize it. It's like the brain always wants to find those things. I think that's part of why COVID's been so mm. hard on people is we're spending so much time looking at the same walls. Yeah. Um, yeah. The same, you know, block around our house. <laughs> yeah. Walking that same block. Walking that same, I had this moment and in, in my son and I were going on walks every day in the pandemic, but we were doing the same route. And I had this one moment where I sort of petulantly stopped 
in the middle of our walk and just went, I'm so sick of walking here. I'm so sick of this walk. <laughs> it's like, I can't, nothing's going to solve this horror. You know, like I just couldn't keep going because I was just, you know, walking <sighs> the same block and stopping at the same, you know, ice cream shop and eating the same delicious ice cream. But I was just like, I'm sick of this ice cream and I'm sick of this walk. I'm sick of the walls of my apartment. There's no newness. And I think it really does create, um, you know, it's just a form of um, the the seeking of newness is a form of like interacting with your interiority that gives you a chance to see yourself, see the corners of your mind, understand the way your mind tackles newness or solves the sort of problem of the unknown. And I think I don't know how you guys feel, but I feel like when I travel and I come up against a lot of struggles or or difficulties, but then I solve them, I feel amazing. I feel like so unstoppable. I'll be like, I'm out in the world, you know, like navigating the universe. Right. And I like solve this train issue. Yes, yes. And it's like so much power and agency. Like I just can't get that from like doing the laundry at my house, even though I know I have to do the laundry at my house. Like, oh. There's no so, adventure in the laundry. There's, it really has to get done. It's one of the hard facts of reality. Ugh. But it's not romantic. You know, it's not romantic to get, like, your prescriptions at the pharmacy and, like, milk at the bodega. But um, but those things are also important and as well. Can I ask you guys a question, though? Of course. Of course. Um, so, so I was talking a few minutes ago about, like, this neutral room, right? Um, yeah. that I call the space in my mind. And again, like that space is one of great agency for me, right? It's a space of peace. It's a space in which I can go and I can think and I can have um, conversations with myself. So there's all these things that are really good about that, like protective withdrawal. And then the thing that I think the book is is sort of trying to figure out is like, but where's that threshold where that like peace and restorative um, power or agency in the separated neutral room, where's that threshold where it becomes um, a- about more avoidance, right? Mm. And I have this theory that everybody has their own neutral room, their own version of this. So it may not be like a literal walled off room in your brain but i do think everyone has like a protective space where it's very good for you but there's a threshold in which it becomes avoidant so do you relate to that and do you have your own neutral rooms yes except i i think one thing that was really interesting to me about your book is i've never heard it positioned that way like because you give it this kind of physical space and also what I like about the way that you kind of tackle it is seeing both the the pros and cons of it, right? And like that fine balance that you're talking about. Because I think a lot of times I'm like, I just disassociate and that's not good. But actually, mm-hmm. when you're the way you kind of present it is at many times a form of self-care and survival and empowerment and agency. And so I'm now I definitely do that. I think for me it's a it's a bit of like a protective space but i'm trying to think about how i how i practice it that i don't know if i can articulate but i definitely do have kind of a i don't know 
a, like a, a brain space I go to when I'm just like, I need to, I need there to be a, a boundary here for my own, to pres- my own self-preservation. Mm. Yeah, I don't think I've ever thought about it as a room, but I I like the idea of thinking about it as a room. Um, so that has definitely made me kind of think about my own sort of coping mechanisms. Um, and yeah, so, so to answer your question, like, not exactly, but sort of. Yeah, but I, I'm so interested in people's coping mechanisms, which I think can be their neutral rooms. Like, I think one of the great joys in life is watching a television show I don't care about, you know, it's like, Mm. that is like such a fantastic coping mechanism. Um, And if I do it all day long, which sometimes I do, if I'm feeling really terrible about something, I'll just stay in bed all day and like eat pizza in bed and like watch a terrible show that I don't care about. Then that becomes a signal to me that I'm, (laughs) I'm avoiding something. But then there's also that, just like unbelievable bliss and restorative yes. energy of like one to two hours of a, at the end of a hard day where I'm like, this is such a hugely powerful tool for good yeah. in my life. And so I think it's like, doesn't even have to be like a space in your head, but maybe like a practice or a habit or what we often call a guilty pleasure, which I don't really like that term, but it's sometimes that's what we call it. Um, so, yeah. Do you have any examples of that that you're? Yes. I mean, so for me, like, well, I'm a, I write romance and I read romance. And so I've talked a lot about this on our podcast, but like specifically reading romance books to me provides that space of like mental relaxation and escape and comfort. But specifically, as Dory has heard a million times over, I have been reading a romance series called Ice Planet Barbarians, which is a uh, human romance, I mean, human alien romance series. And I've read like 30 of these books and they are, they've got, got me through the Omicron search, basically. I, like that's oh, wow. all I, all I could do was live in the space, like live my life and then at night retreat to this <laughs> ice planet with the aliens and the humans. And that was it. That was all I could do. So yes, that is mine. That's my current one. Well, I love that. Me, I'll check oh, it out. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I it's say, it's wild, me, it's, Chloe. It's mysteries. I, I oh, yeah. feel about mysteries the way that Kate feels about romance. So um, that's definitely like a space for me to just kind of let my brain relax, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad. They're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering creppiness, Dory. Mm. Okay. Which is okay. I know. Visible on my <sighs> neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, OneSkin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like crappiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel 
I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, Mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting-edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their Mm -hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here Mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving. That sun is coming at us at all times. OneSkin believes the purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. All right, we are back. Um, Chloe, before we wrap up, because I just realized we've been chatting for quite some time, um, because you're so easy to talk to. Um, oh. could you could you let us know, do you have a skincare routine and what is it? I do. Um I used to I used to do like a full out, very multi step korean skincare routine with like 18 steps and then i was always i was just wasn't consistent i feel like that Mm -hmm. whole it's like you have to be very consistent and i'm a person who you know if i'm tired i just go to bed with makeup on and that's bad but i just do it like i just get very lazy yeah Yeah. you know nothing bad's happened like has anything bad happened to you as a result of this no no. right it's fine. No. Uh, it's fine. And then this like amazing thing happens where like somehow my makeup actually looks better in the morning. <laughs> Does that going. ever happen? Where I'm like, Not oh, me. it's like something's happened where it's all sort of like gelled, you know? It's like, like settled, settled yeah. into your skin. And I wake up sometimes and I'm like, I look amazing. <laughs> uh, my hair always looks better in the morning. But um, so now I keep it much more much more simple um, because I have to be consistent. And so this is sort of, okay, these are two boring things. Okay, one is I just use tretinoin, which I think is great. Yes, great. Yeah, not boring at all. That's like holy grail. Okay, I just love it. I'm like, why am I doing all these creams when like maybe tretinoin just is the thing I need? Um, And then I really want your opinion on this because I've started to use a product 
that I really love and it's way too expensive, but I have a really like intense relationship with it. But I also suspect that I am being totally brainwashed and that it has no real effect and that marketing and like celebrity culture has completely brainwashed me. And so I really want to know what you think, but I'm using the Augustinius Bader oh my cream. God. Okay. <laughs> uh-huh. 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 Okay. <laughs> Do you guys talk about this? Oh, I've gone we, on a journey with that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I have I, to go back and find these episodes. Please tell me, am I being well, brainwashed or is it the no. best? You just described, I feel like, and Dory, I think you're less susceptible. Like I am get swept up in marketing and a, a hefty price tag. Like I, I, I can empathize deeply. I tried that stuff because I was on the hunt for a rich skincare cream and it made me break out, but people oh, love man. it. And I think if it works for you, it's probably great. I know I don't think it's just a, you know, flashy lights and 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 pretty ads. Like I think it's I think people really love that stuff. Like stand by it and fork over the cash for it because it's so great. Yeah, I bought it, and I it doesn't make me break out. It makes my skin I think look kind of dewy and glowy naturally. Right. I really like it. I do think maybe just like a $5, you know, like a, like I think there's a placebo effect happening in my brain, which maybe is fine or maybe it's great. I don't know. Dory, do you have feelings about this? Um, well, as Kate said, I am more of like a skeptic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and full disclosure, I did not try it. Um, <laughs> they did send us some. And it, mine is still like in the box because like <laughs> there's something, I don't know. I have like a mental hurdle about trying really expensive stuff, which is oh, weird really? since I'm on a skincare pod, <laughs> like a podcast that talks about skincare a lot. I think I also like with products that are like, this is the only thing you need to use. I'm always like, but what if I want to like use my other things? Yeah. And I feel like that's what this um isn't that like don't they say that that like this is the mm-hmm. like the only thing you need and Yes. I think it has like <sighs> yeah. re- a retinol aspect to it as well. So I think that might be why. I mean, yeah, I know I don't know. I, Grace Atwood who is an influencer who I I trust to influence me. She's like the real deal. She loves that stuff. And so I look again. I I also believe I that placebo effects are like you know. I know. I'm. I believe that placebo effects like. Why not? You know what? If it's yeah. just all in our brain, but it makes us feel good. Well, I Dory, okay. I can give you my address if you don't want to open that box. <laughs> you can send it to me because I, mean, I like it and it's very me, expensive. Yeah, it's very expensive. <laughs> but no, you should try. It. You should try. It. Okay, I but should. I do. I do. Okay, so I. So I think that that it's like that's a product I would never recommend to anybody because I don't know if I'm just like in a weird love bizarre relationship with it. But one thing this is I don't know if you'll count this as skincare, but it's a product that I've started to use that I'm very um, obsessed with and proselytizing about is so as I've gotten older, I'm now 38. Um, my eyebrows have thinned. That's like a, a natural, you know, aging thing. And I started using Revitalash's, um, eyebrow conditioner. 
Mm-hmm. And your listeners can't see, but you guys can see. Look at my eyebrows. They're like twice as that you didn't see me before. You have nothing to compare this to. <laughs> but we're going to take trust your word. me. Revitalash like, works. Yeah, it works. Tw- Revitalash what, works. What is in that? I don't know. I, I mean, I bet we could read the ingredient list, but I almost don't want to know. I use their, yeah, I I've used their know. mascara and they have like a, a similar conditioning mascara. That's really nice. I'm, I'm going to buy everything they've got. They've got me hooked. Like everything. I'm just, I'm going to buy everything they've got. I couldn't believe that it worked, that it grew that so is, much of my eyebrows back. Well, and then, you know, what's frustrating is that like the, I keep reading online that nineties thin eyebrows are going to come back in style. No. Mm-mm. And I'm not going to no. participate. <laughs> no, I'm not. Right? We've all learned and lived that life. Yes. Yes. Keep them bushy and big, everybody. I'm not going to participate. Can I ask you one other skincare question? Because I'm really on the I'm on the fence about this. I I use the like PMD brush. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like this, it's a silicon, um, Ooh. like face vibrating face brush, I've and never it's heard like of a. This. It's great. So Ooh. I, I have like, um, you know, I have like large pores and problems with blackhead and stuff like that. So I always thought I should use like the Clarisonic brushes, but then I found out that those actually like really damage your skin apparently. Yeah. And maybe like that company doesn't exist anymore. So then this one is a silicon vibrating one that like gets all the stuff out of your face, but also is like lightly exfoliating. And I love it, but I don't know if like, in a couple months, I'm going to have all these weird face because Clarisonic was like quite damaging, right? Like it broke mm. people's skin. So, okay, but you guys don't use it. You don't have an opinion. Well, on they've that one. been discontinued. They've had the PMD or the yeah. Clarisonic. Uh, Clarisonics. Oh, yeah. have they really? Clarisonics have been discontinued. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. I had one. But I mean, I went through a phase like in the aughts. I feel like everyone had a Clarisonic. I was using that thing every day. Yeah. I. But- I've not tried this face brush, this PMD that you have. I've tried other silicone face brushes. I mean, again, I'm kind of of the mindset that if it works for you, it works. But I don't know in terms of like damage. That is that's a little bit like that scary who knows area of things when it comes to all this stuff. Yeah, I know. That's what freaks me out. I thought you guys were going to just give me the verdict, but I might know we're just... we like to live in the gray area. Of, yeah, we do. Um, yeah. <laughs> we like to really equivocate. Yeah, yeah. yeah we don't like to no, give you an answer. That's good. But, I, but it looks. I mean, it's intri- it, The I'm curious about it now. I do feel like the the challenge is like for me anyway, and I don't want to speak for either of you, but it's like. Once I get started, I can never stop. Like, and Dory knows this about me. Like, I just accumulate all the stuff and to the point where I'm like, what is, what am I even doing anymore? Like, I'm, I'm wearing this mask at night and then I'm putting this brush on my face. So, right. And like, to what end? Yes. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's also like, well, this makes me feel good and it makes my skin look good. And like, I don't know. The yeah. world can feel like a hellfire. So this 100%. brush will save me. I do also yeah. just want to note that so many of these face skincare brushes look like vibrators. Like this yes. little guy. <laughs> My Don't husband they? said that when I bought this PMD, it's a cute, it looks like a cute little pink vibrator. Yeah, it's so cute. And when cute. it came, my husband was like, that thing's putting me out of a job. And I was like, no, it's for my face. It's for my face. 
Like, I was, like I, you know, like that's a vibrators are not new or anything in the house, but it's like he was like he really gave that particular one like gave it a look. He was like, I don't like that. I don't like that one. I was like, no, no, it's really sharp. But they do, they do look like there's like a real crossover. I just noticed that like about a bunch of skincare to- skincare tools I have where I'm like, hmm, all right, yeah, y'all y'all look very similar. I feel like we could we could talk about this for. I know. Hours. Maybe, um, Chloe, when this book promo is done, maybe you can come back and talk to us more about it because it'd be really interesting to to continue the conversation to get again into it. when you have time because obviously. Well, yeah, it, would be, it would be my pleasure. Well, my pleasure. We, do you have any plans is, to come oh, yeah. to um, Los Angeles? LA? I do. Um, oh. So I have a book launch at Skylight. Ooh. Oh, great. In, on April 9th. Oh, of course. I'm in New I'm York. In, Sorry, not to make it all about me. Dory, you're here. I'm here. Yeah, you should come. I can I'm come. in conversation with Anne Friedman. I don't know if oh, you know cool. her. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, so I'll be there in April 9th at Skylight, which I think is a Saturday. And then I'll come back. I'm doing a tour with Pop-Up Magazine. So oh, I don't cool. know if you know them, but... Yeah. Well, so, and then I also love LA. So I spend as much time in LA as possible. I live in Brooklyn and... You just have to leave Brooklyn as you just have to occasionally leave Brooklyn to fully appreciate it. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> we both used to live in Brooklyn. So, we yeah. so you know, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I love LA and I come, I come as often as, you know, as I can. Is there any other, any other events that you want to uh, share with listeners who may be able to come out uh, either virtually or in person to support um, your book launch? Yeah, if any listeners are in New York City, we launch the book on April 5th, which is Pub Day uh, at Books Are Magic in Brooklyn. And it's going to be, I think, a really great event. I'm in conversation with brilliant, brilliant writer Anna Wiener. Anna Wiener wrote um, Uncanny Valley, which was the New York Times called it one of the 10 best, best books of the year. It's also a memoir, and she's a staff writer at The New Yorker truly an amazing and brilliant person. So that's going to be really fun. And then also I do have a full tour schedule, which will be online on my website, which is just chloecooperjones.com. So if anyone's listening and wants to come say hi to me or join a virtual event, um, I'd be really thrilled to have this conversation or conversations like this with with anyone. So it's so fun to talk to talk about, although this was very special talking to you both. So Thank you for making this um, so fun and easy on me. Oh, well, your book is just is really beautiful. Um, And Dory and I were talking about just as writers too, just admiring the way you structured it and how you wrote it. It's just it's fantastic. So everybody should should read it when it comes out on April 5th. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Chloe. Thank you, Chloe. Thank you. You know, I have to say, like, one of the thing that really, things that really heartens me about our podcast and the amazing human beings that we get to talk to is that we all are intertwined through skincare. Mm. Like, everyone has a skincare routine, even if you do nothing. That's technically your routine. You know, like, yeah. everybody has a thing yeah. that when you say to them, do you have a skincare routine? They have an answer. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes the answer it's is true. like, no, but I like should, you know, it's just, it's just a fun kind of uniting topic. Mm-hmm. 
I'm glad you posed it to Chloe too. I just, cause sometimes we all like, we get so caught up in our, I know, chats. I know. Yes, yes, yes. That often um, we forget. We do, but I'm glad that we got to talk to her about it. Um, Kate, I have a confession to make. I was going to oh do gosh. yoga. Okay. I was going to do yoga this week inspired by our last guest, Jessamine Stanley, and oh. I didn't do it. And I'm just like, where did the week go? Like, I literally am like, what happened? I feel like, though, Jessamine would say, like, not feeling attached to having to practice yoga is a is a, a yoga practice within itself. So technically, you did practice yoga. I mean, oh, I don't want to put to- you're right. words in her mouth, but I, I do feel like that's kind of... She has such a compassionate approach to yoga. And I think that you can hold space for not actually doing a physical yoga practice story. It's okay. okay. Thank you, Kate. Okay. Um, well, this week I have a pretty low stakes intention. Matt is going away for a couple of nights and my intention is to just like not get overwhelmed. And it'll be you and Henry Me and living Henry. your best mother son life. Yep. Do you do you have matching outfits with Henry? I do not. Okay. I always think of Mother Boy on Arrested Development. Are you, are you familiar with Mother Boy? Um no. Okay. Mother Boy is it's like a mother's son dance where they wear matching outfits. <laughs> I mean, look. You got to watch old Arrested Developments, but I you know, so I was wondering if you and Henry had little mother son matching outfits. Maybe that'll be your birthday presents this year. Wow. Okay. Don't uh, get Kate, too excited. What are What are your intentions? What's your intention? Okay. Well, oh my God, I didn't set one. So last week, I set the intention of resting. And I have to say, I, I did that kind of this week where I just kind of like mentally didn't do much. I didn't put a lot of pressure on myself to like do a ton of work. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of sitting around. I binged yellow jackets I cooked a lot, which I don't normally do, which felt mm. really nice. Um, I played with my dogs. Like I just kind of, just kind of lobbed, as we would say in my family. I lobbed I love around. It. That sounds so, great. You know, I, I'm now realizing that I rested so hard, I didn't set an intention for this coming week. But what I'm going to say is that I would like to this week. Plan out four easy meals for our family to make for dinner. And I want to do it with the input of my children because. Ooh, okay. Guess who has a lot of opinions about the things that they eat when their father and I cook for them? So this week I want, like, one thing I've said to them when they're like, I don't like this. I'm like, great. You can either, you, if you want to complain, like, then you get to cook dinner tomorrow. Otherwise, like, I don't want to hear it. Like you get here in the kitchen at 530 and stop doing your homework and come. You figure out what to make. Mother effer. Wow. Uh, yeah, I know. That's not a great thing to say to a nine and 11 year old, but that's kind of where I'm at. So what I'm thinking is like, how can I include them? Not just in like getting their opinions better, but also being like, great, you can help me on Monday night. Chop the carrots. <laughs> so more inclusive meal invested. planning. Yeah. Yeah. And also like, hey, why don't we hit up your bank account for the grocery shopping, my little friends? Wow. Ooh, baby. Ooh, wow. baby. You know what? This is one of those things I wish I, it, were my mom alive. I would be like, hey, I'm real sorry about the way I 
<laughs> I was acted when you fed me. Because my mom did was the predominant maker of dinners in my family. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, that's yeah. a hard role to have as in a yeah. family to be the dinner maker. Anyway, that's my plan, Dory. I mean, wish me luck. We'll see how it goes. I'm not Kate, too optimistic. I'm wishing you luck. Thank you, friend. You are wonderful. I appreciate you. <laughs> All right, everyone. That about hey, does it. Forever 35 is hosted and produced by my friend, Dory Shafrir, and by your friend, Kate Spencer. And it's produced and edited by our mutual friend, Sam Junio. Our other friend, Sammy Reed, is our project manager and our network partner slash, I'm going to say it, our friend is a guest. All right. Bye, everyone. <laughs>